Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Routine Podcast. My name is Dan Simpson. Thank you so much for downloading. This is the show where we get advice and inspiration for that book that's knocking around your head right now. We get it by chatting to authors who have been there, who have seen it, who have done it, and who have got the promo t-shirts with the big picture of their book on. Today, we'll hear from an ex-copper whose career in the force made him a bestseller. It's the part of the show where I get needy and wanty and kind of do the podcast equivalent of groveling on my knees. Because if you've enjoyed the writer's routine so far at all, uh, and you've got any tips or advice from the authors we've interviewed so far, I would love it if you could get onto the iTunes podcast store uh, and leave us a review. A good review, that is. If you were going to leave a bad one, you can just click stop on your listening device right now. That's okay with me. Also, uh, drop some stars as well five would be amazing that is five because the way the kind of podcast game works is with surge of energy surge of momentum so the more reviews we get the higher we'll get in the charts and the more people will know can listen to the show and can get more help from loads of successful authors as well so if you've enjoyed the show that's what you can do Uh, get out your phone right now and leave us a review on the itunes podcast store Paul Finch is the author of the best-selling Heck novels. They're all about DS Mark Heckenberg, who is a policeman. And Paul knows exactly how to write about that, right? He used to work for the Greater Manchester Police. And as you'll hear, he mined his experiences fully to get the stories on paper. It's not just crime he's worked on, though. He's had loads of award nominations for his horror books. Uh, He's also done stuff with Doctor Who for films, for animation, even for The Bill, too. Now, I chatted to Paul a few weeks ago, and one thing that I didn't notice at the time, but became abundantly and irritatingly clear during the edit, uh, was there was a really annoying aircon fan whirring away the whole time. I'm really sorry about that. I hope it's not too distracting. Uh, I just don't have the talent to cut it out. (laughs) Also, uh, I realised I really do love talking to authors about their characters. Because they speak not just like it's their best mate or like a member of their family, but it's kind of like their identical uh, twin, conjoined twin type of thing, uh, who like lives in their head the whole time and they share thoughts. There's something so real about it, and Paul speaks about Heck exactly that way. Uh, you'll hear it in just a sec. Plus... 
Paul's writing routine is different from, I reckon, about 90% of every other author around. And if you're struggling to put a pen to paper, the advice that Paul gives might really help you out. Also, we'll get a weird and wonderful writing routine from history with our Distinguished Diaries feature in a bit. Today, it is 11 Commandments for Success from Henry Miller, and he knew what he was on about. That's on the way in a sec. First then, let's get into my chat with Paul Finch, the crime and horror author, about his writer's routine. When I actually start to write the book, what's in front of me? Well, I'll tell you what's in front of me, and I think this will be different to a lot of people. Two Springer Spaniels on a lead in the woods because I always dictate my first draft when I'm walking that's part of the uh, it's part of a fitness drive to just keep me keep walking all the time I could have a very sedentary life I think that's the correct term isn't it I could be stuck in front of a computer 24-7 I don't want to do that I d- I've done that in other jobs I, I and I just find now that going almost whatever the weather I get out there and I walk and I dictate my first, the whole book. Not always in one go, but in chapters. I mean, when I say all weathers, I mean, I wrote a, the last Doctor Who book I wrote was in the winter of 2010, when it was like minus 15 and heavy snow. And I I still went out and did it because I, I just preferred that to being stuck in my office all day so how did that develop this uh did you the very first book you ever sat down to write did you sit down did you do it sedentary or or was it always the plan to go and no i think i think i probably started like everybody else you know sitting in front of a computer and initially um sort of hypnotized by a blank screen and then starting to type type it out but uh it just when we got i mean we've we've always been a dog family and you know we we have dogs that need exercise so um the dogs tend i i began to combine it i had a dictaphone i found it was quite easy i was writing the bill before i was writing books which is essentially dialogue and i find the dialogue writing dialogue when i'm out and about quite easy i don't think it just comes natural to me for example with my novels i tend to write the dialogue first when i'm dictating um it then has to be typed up later on. It isn't um, a finished draft by any means, and it isn't something that a, an app could just reproduce, could type for you, because it would be gibberish. Your first draft, when you do it this way, tends to be almost like streams of conscious thought broken up into you know, incorrect sentences with no real structure, but everything's in roughly the right order. So when it comes to me typing it out, it's just... 90 miles an hour because I, all I'm doing is just correcting everything as I go along and it's a great way of doing it that's the first draft though I mean I know some writers don't like to plan I do a detailed plan uh, but that changes so this is before you've set out on your walks with your dictaphone you've sat yeah, yeah, down that's, you've... Uh, that's notepad and pen I have a detailed plan um, but I'm flexible I'm not hidebound by the plan if a better idea comes up halfway along that's the way I go but by the same token, if a better idea comes up and it involves changing everything I've done before, I'll do that if it's a better idea. I kind of know where I, I know where I'm starting and I know where I need to finish. So uh, I'm still essentially following the plan. But and when you're dictating, it's quite it's quite liberating because you can make footnotes and anything you want. I mean, you can all kinds of ideas. So, for example, you know, you may think halfway through, you may think actually that's a better name for that character that I've been using. So I just say it, you know, change the character's name, go back and change it to Daddy Daddy. And um, 
for me it works. I mean, there are drawbacks, for example, in, uh, when I was using, I mean, now it's a digital device I use. Previously, it would be um, a battery-powered uh, tape recorder. Well, there was nothing worse than the tape having ended an hour earlier and you didn't realise it, because it didn't give you any kind of signal, or the battery having run out and not telling you anything. So there are occasions when I've come back thinking I've done a day's work and I've got nothing. The thing I find easiest is interaction between characters. That may be my script writing background coming up a little bit. If I find it, I mean, I get a lot of praise, if I may say so myself, for my action sequences. Because my heck novels in particular have big, protracted action sequences in them. But I find those, they have to be right. So you've got to, it's all about timing. And I always think of an action sequence. I don't want to veer off into action sequences at this stage, but it is relevant to your question. A kind of an assault on the senses. It's not just a straightforward narrative. So I layer action sequences. So, for example, I did um, in Hunted, uh, after a, a bank robbery sequence, there was a car chase across South London. That took me two weeks to write that sequence. Um, I even walked the route and I had spoke to sub-chaps in London traffic, because as an ex-copper I have a few useful contacts, about the most destructive route we could take. <laughs> but the funny thing is that it was a two. It took me two weeks to write, and it probably is two pages of the book, and yet the funny thing is I'm in quite good company there, and I, I was only told this later on, because um, if you remember the film The French Connection, there's a very famous sequence where they chase a train into this. There's a car chase into New York, and it's chasing a train. It's one of the most amazing action scenes ever put on film. And apparently that took them six weeks to film, and it's six minutes six minutes in the film. So it's kind of the same ratio, if you know what I mean. Um, I'm not putting myself in that 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 um, that category, by the way. But uh, so yeah, so so I I had to kind of do day after day of of planned dictation walks to get that sequence right. Um, and uh, I mean, I and I, you know, maybe people can. I mean, I, it was described in one review as the mother of all car chases, so I was quite happy with that. <laughs> so it kind of worked. But other things, you know, I mean, I find descriptive passages, uh, I wouldn't say challenge, they're just more demanding because you want it to be right, you know. If, so I have to work slightly harder on us. So I may do, I may say I'm taking the dog out for an hour um, to get this one page description of uh, whatever part of the countryside it is right. Let's get some sort of form to this. Uh, talk me through an average day of your first draft uh, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed when you're sat there writing. Right, well, an average, the, the first couple of hours will be... I mean, the, usually the first hour is dealing with um, correspondence, publicity-type stuff. I mean, I know that's probably a bit... sort of a bit dry, but, yeah, we all have to... We all have to find ways to talk about ourselves online without talking about ourselves. So, a bit of if there's some blogging to do, or a few, if people are dropping me a nice line on Facebook or Twitter saying how much they enjoyed the next last book, I always try to respond personally. That kind of thing. Usually, that's an hour. Um, what well, time is this of the day? This would be from sort of eight o'clock onwards. Um, I mean, obviously there are breaks because life gets in the way. I mean, my office is at home. Um, as I say, most of the time. Most of the time, I'm the only person there. But the dogs are bouncing around the house, barking at the postman and that kind of things, and the window cleaner. So there's all those little things. I may have a few bits and pieces of the previous day to finish off, because I try and get some a certain amount done every day. I usually hit the road um, around eleven to half eleven. That will be my first dictation walk of the day, because there are usually two. 
I get back in if I'm lucky I might get a thousand words out of what that because I usually get back in about two I have a bite of lunch then the afternoon is typing all that up oh so it all happens on the same day yeah but then it's only as much but then I go do another dictation walk from five, half past five onwards usually till about uh, usually till about half past seven um, half past seven you know by this time my wife Kathy's home and we have dinner if I'm really pushed I go back to work sort of eight half eight usually till about midnight um, but but I don't really like working in the evening because you're tired so all I tend to do in the evening if if I'm able to is do other related stuff again blogging this kind of thing because um, I do a lot of blogging and it's not just about me other writers book, mm. review, book reviews this kind of thing so my blog is a kind of epicentre of what I refer to as dark fiction so it's sort of crime thrillers horror science fiction that kind of thing so I talk about widely about all these things um, and I try and do at least two blogs a month and they're big ones you know they're kind of three four thousand word blogs so I, I they, so that's my day I mean as I say I'm not hide bound if I'm really up against a deadline everything can just be thrown away and I just have to go for it you know until it's done how much research do you have to do to make sure what you're talking about is right, not just geographically, uh, I know you were a police officer yourself, but also so you know well, I, the details I, I of what you are putting down exa- is I know exactly what you mean. It's a good question. Um, I, in the first three, I mean, there are six books so far. I'm writing the seventh at the moment. I've, in the first instances, I tried to stick with areas I knew reasonably well. I'm a, a native of the northwest, Lancashire, Manchester, so that that's come up on several occasions but also I lived in south I lived in south I've lived in south east and north London so I know London well you invented the the department that he works in uh, how truthful are you with the rest of the details in the book are you perfectly fine to, to to invent another way a place in Humberside well I mean fiction is where I live so I for example my national crime group doesn't actually exist I think the problem is that, you know, what a lot of readers don't get is that when you're writing about real places, you have to be a little bit careful. So in Ashes to Ashes, um, which is loosely based on the town of my birth, Wigan, but it's the town that I grew up in as a teenager, so it's horrible. It's a real (laughs) mess. It's a real industrial mess, which it isn't anymore. So the point was, I thought, well, I can't call it Wigan, so I invented a town, I just called it Bradburn but it's in exactly the same place on a map. Uh, and uh, um, um, f- people kind of accept that. I mean, they're, they're less, uh, they were less accepting initially of, of fiction and real life merging together. We'll get more from Paul Finch in just a sec, where we'll talk about plotting, about whether being a regimented, disciplined policeman has influenced his writing style at all. And also we'll find out how closely he likes to stick to that famous three-act structure. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's time to get a weird and wonderful writing routine from history in our halftime show of a feature, Distinguished Diaries. Now, Henry Miller was like an uber-creative. He was an author and a writer. He was known for his works Tropic of Capricorn, The Time of the Assassins, and for the way he he broke uh, the literary style of the day and and how he would discuss sex, uh, surrealist themes, society, uh, swearing, uh, and kind of in a way that no one was really doing back then. And in 1932, he released a book called Henry Miller on Writing, which did exactly what it says on the tin. In it are a list of 11 commandments that he tried to follow every single day to help with successful writing, and they're brilliant. And they still work today, uh, like almost 90 years later. Number one, he says to work on one thing at a time until it's finished. And that is really hard today, what with the internet, and you're allowed about a thousand tabs to keep distracting you while you're working. Number two, he says start no more books. That's really key. Uh, Keep one idea in your mind at a time. Number three, don't be nervous. He says work calmly, joyously, recklessly on whatever is in hand. Dive fully into it. Number four, uh, he says work according to this program and not according to mood and stop at the appointed time. Uh, Be dedicated and efficient with your creativity, although in a second you'll find that occasionally he just throws that out the window. Number five, he says that when you can't create, you can still work. You can kind of do research for the rest of of your book. Number six, cement a little bit every day rather than add new fertilizers. Not really sure what that one means. Number seven, he says, keep human, see people, go places, do things, drink if you feel like it. Number eight, another one I'm not too sure about. Don't be a draft horse. Work with pleasure only. Uh, And number nine, this is what I was talking about. He says, discard the program when you feel like it, but go back to it the next day. Concentrate, narrow down, exclude things. Number 10, and not sure about you, I could definitely learn from this one. Uh, Forget the books that you want to write. Think of only the book you are writing, because novels have to be uh, like over 70,000 words long. And I definitely get to about 10,000 of one book. I get bored, want to start something different. And your last one, number 11, he says, write first and always. Painting, music, friends, cinema, all these things come afterwards. There are so many lessons there from Henry Miller that we can still learn today. That for creativity to flourish, you need to work hard at it and be dedicated, but also to understand that some days it's almost impossible to tame the beast. Now, as has been made very clear on this show so far, you know, when 
we talk about how I can never quite finish an idea and that I'm way too distracted by all the other stuff that's out there on the internet to actually concentrate on one thing at a time. Bear that in mind, right? I want to tell you about uh, our new website for the show. Now, now it's in its infancy, and to be honest, it's never likely to be fully complete because of all the concentration stuff that I just confessed to, but it's there. It's online, it's live, you can hear all our old episodes, you can get in touch with the show, suggest authors to interview, and we've got handy links on there to our iTunes and RSS feed as well. Uh, so get online, have a look, let me know what you think. It is writersroutine.com. Right, let's get back to the meat of the show then. The reason we're all here, the second part of my chat with crime and horror author Paul Finch on The Writer's Routine. Say for your heck books, now you know him. You, you, you know the character so well, he could be like one of the family. Is it simply a case of uh, having him, thinking of a few situations that he could get into and just dropping him in the middle of them? Or are you more thinking about the overarching plot of the tale and, and having a good narrative? Well, I think with the heck books in particular, because they are... I mean, I have a whole list of heck ideas, which are normal in a sentence, which anything that strikes me as interesting, whether it's something I see in real life or something I see on the news or something someone tells me in gossip. I mean, I know I've got so many police stories... <laughs> Um, and it goes down. Possible heck idea. Possible heck idea. That's the way. That's the way it starts. Really, uh, uh, with heck, it has to have the potential to be. Has to have the potential, first of all, for there to be a lot of intense emotional drama between him and Gemma, his ex-girlfriend, who's now his boss. And it's almost invariably because he strays, strays from the the, the protocol. But the other two, the two of the most important, it has to be frightening. So the villains and the, the fiendish plots they're evolving have to be a much more frightening than the average plot, or a lot much more disturbing. And there has to be potential for action. So in some ways, it leans a little bit more towards James Bond than it does towards the average cop thriller, if you know what I mean. Six heck books down. You've got the Lucy Claiborne's. You, you've written a lot of other stuff as well. You're well versed in in knowing how a story works. Well, I think so. When, when you're plotting your outline, um, do you have certain things that you need to hit? Certain um, beginning, middle, end. Is there a certain amount of chapters that you need? You're talking about the three act structure. Yeah, that, that, that and 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 just generally your outline how because as you say you need to release a book every nine months it needs to be quite strict is there uh, almost a standard template um well people would say there is it may well be that i have a template that i'm not completely aware of and the more realistic it is the more impact the nasty and the action-packed moments have i may restrict myself to kind of three big action sequences in a book and they're kind of spaced out near the beginning, the middle, and the end. And there's lots, of, there's lots of other stuff in between that's relevant. There's lots of unfolding plot. There's lots of character development. There's lots of interaction which is relevant. Uh, and you know, I always believe you've got to, you've got to, you can't bring in things near the end that no one saw coming. Every solution has to be flagged it's because it's too easy to bring something in that wasn't in the book. Uh, but, but one other very quick point. I mean. Of course, with thrillers, red herrings are always a great device because it adds extra threads of tension. Um, and, of course, they can be resolved during the course of the book. Apart from the red herring, are there any other uh, kind of hard and fast rules that you live by when you write your thrillers? I mean, I, uh, yeah, I think, well, I think with the Heck books, because his personal background is quite 
uh, relevant to his character. Um, in the in the first in the first six books, I'm hoping there'll be more. There'll, there'll be many more. In the first six books, we were telling us we were slowly unfolding book by book terrible events from his early life, which made him the person he is. Now, it's a challenge for me now because in book six, it's all that is resolved. That's the catharsis. Book six is his personal life catharsis. So from here on, it's kind of a blank sheet in that regard. Um, so it, it will be, it's a kind of pastures new thing now. We have to see where we go. So previously, there was always a relevance to it. And I wasn't, you know, don't get me wrong, I wasn't loading him with personal baggage because that's melodramatic. But um, there were hints of something terrible happening and they become more and more more, more important. Um, so there was a kind of developing story arc. Did you always know that you wanted certain things of his life resolved within those six books or did it become apparent well book i never three? i mean I, I i'll be honest with you i didn't know how many books there were going to be in the series i mean i would i never thought i i mean you know you you dream of course you think oh well, wouldn't it be wonderful to have 30 books um you're never sure that will happen and um, I think it's fairly safe that Heck will go on and on because he sells very well overseas as well. Um, if my German publisher told me, you know, they'd publish as many as I could write. Which Why is do you nice. think that is? If you can be, if you can be critical to yourself and, and perhaps uh, a bit um, blowing smoke up places to yourself, why do you think it is appreciated in other countries as much or more than it is here? I honestly do not know. I mean. Um, some countries have bought, other countries haven't. Um, I can't explain why that is. I think it's done phenomenally well in Germany. I, I honestly do not know. It could simply be that he has a German surname. But I don't think... I and mean, that's accidental. I never thought about that at the time. I, I named him Heckenberg after an Australian rugby player. I just thought it was a terrific name. When he was coming on with ball in hand, and it was... Go on, heck! And I thought that's a fantastic name. Never occurred to me that, of course, in a ger in German it means war tower, so okay. it's quite a dramatic name. And I, but I don't think that's the sole reason. I think it's just that my publishers in Germany um, are uh, market it terrifically well. I mean, I've seen it's fascinating. People have sent me photographs of billboards with my face on them in Berlin. I've never even been to Berlin. Or oh, you've got a. You've unknowingly got a German translator who's writing his own work <laughs> well, uh, well, <laughs> without you knowing. Funnily enough, my German translators are by far the most conscientious. I, I say that uh, in, I mean, in, in a non... I'm not critical of other translators. It's just that they're the only ones who send me lots and lots and lots of questions. Do you remember the first moment that the first Lucy Claiborne novel came into your mind? And then why was it not a heck book? Ah, right. Good. That's a very good question. Um, it was initially kind of imposed on me. I was. I had never entered my head to write a Lucy Claiborne book until it was suggested that, um, because female heroes were becoming a big thing about three or four, three probably three years ago, had I got any thoughts to do a parallel series with a policewoman? Well, I hadn't, and I didn't mind. It gave me the opportunity maybe to do a more down-to-earth police procedural. There was certainly no point in it just being a female heck, because that would have been, you know the same story basically so fortunately um this is the second part of the answer i already had um i already had a character called lucy claiborne who I'd, i wrote uh, for a television drama in 1993 called dirty work now it was optioned this was after uh, it was optioned by my former series producer on the bill who really liked it 
It was about a female detective in Manchester, a young policewoman who was investigating police corruption. Because in the early 90s, the big story was police corruption. Um, all the chickens were coming home to roost from earlier eras, basically. Technology caught up with people and it was turned out, it, it found out that notes had not been taken at the time and all this kind of thing. So certain elite squads across uh, the police forces of the UK were getting their backsides kicked. And she was involved in one such because it had led to a series of underworld murders. Um, now I had that, I, it was optioned, uh, a famous television actress at the time um, was very keen to do it, but for various reasons it never got made and it got shelved. So the character was there in my mind, I, I liked the idea of, um, she was a kind of bolshy, blue collar Manchester girl who really spoke her mind and got stuck in. And I started thinking about the police women I knew who'd had the young, and they were all youngsters, only in their early 20s, who had to go undercover as prostitutes. It was a horrifically dangerous job. Probably the dan most dangerous job any policewoman could do. And, um, and I thought, that's, we could get something out of that without it being lurid. This gave me the idea for the first Lucy Claiborne book, and, um, which was about a prostitute murdering her clients. So, um, of course, that would just not have worked in any way with a, a heck story. Do you think you come at it slightly differently as an author because of your background in the police? Maybe you're more methodical with the way you write, maybe you're more factual and less I just, up, I, uh, head in the sky artistic? No, I just, think it, I just think I'm in my comfort zone because of it. But, I mean, I left the police a long time ago. Police protocols have changed dramatically since then. I'm probably as much a, you know, a knucklehead about the fine details of modern police procedures as anybody else. I mean, I've got lots of friends in the job who I still talk to. I try, I don't worry too much about the, the fine detail of protocol because I don't write police textbooks. I write fictional crime thrillers. So I think as long as you get your law right and your forensics right and your power structure right, um, I, you know, don't get me wrong, you have to research that. You can't just guess. Um, but by the same token, you know, I, I think where, where I do have a, a, an advantage is I know the police world. I know the way they talk to each other. I know the way they behave with each other. I know the kind of the relationships between the ranks that would be acceptable and would be unacceptable. What it allows me is freedom to write without, you know, having to ask, pick up at the phone and asking my friends everything. I was the only writer on the bill who didn't need to go on drive-alongs with the police because I'd <laughs> just finished doing the job. So um, so I think it just gives me a lot of... Uh, I'm, it's a much more um, relaxed thing for me. I don't, I'm not unnerved by the prospect of writing about the police, if you know what I mean. Right, that is it for today's episode of The Writer's Routine. Huge thank you to you for listening. Also, obviously, massive thanks to Paul Finch for taking the time uh, coming down to London to chat to me for the show. I hope you had fun at the publishing party later that night, mate. And if you get to writersroutine.com right now, you can find out loads more about Paul. And I've got some nice handy links uh, to websites that sell his books as well, which is pretty good. Uh, now, next week, make sure you're back with the show. Uh, we're chatting to another man named Paul. Now, this guy, uh, he's now a novelist and he used to write screenplays for primetime BBC sitcoms. Remember to subscribe on iTunes as well. If you could leave us a review while you're there, that would be amazing. And thanks for listening. I'll see you next week. Bye. Hold up. 
Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Mm. 